This episode is brought to you by WeatherGuard Lightning Tech. At WeatherGuard, we support design engineers and make lightning protection easy. You're listening to the Struck Podcast. I'm Dan Blewett. I'm Alan Hall. And here on Struck, we talk about everything aviation, aerospace engineering, and lightning protection. All right, welcome back to the Struck Aerospace Engineering Podcast. I'm your co-host, Dan Blewett. On today's episode, we're going to talk about used planes, how long do they last, and what's the market like for older Airbus and Boeing aircraft, and is this going to hurt their sales of new aircraft? In our engineering segment, we'll talk about Hermaeus. They are looking to create a Mach 5 aircraft, and they are working in conjunction with the Air Force to develop the next Air Force One um, mock edition. So we'll talk about some of the engineering challenges that will come ahead of them. And then in our EVTOL segment, lots on ver- vertical aerospace today, which they've been in the news quite a bit. Um, Two billion worth of orders from Avalon, uh, which entails uh, quite a bit of um, quite. A, I think it's five hundred plane orders. American Airlines has also put an order for 250 planes, Virgin Atlantic, 150. Um, so there's a lot going on here, and it looks like they're going to go public with a SPAC merger. So lots in the in the news about vertical airspace. And they admittedly have a beautiful-looking prototype. I'm into it, but we'll see what Alan has to say. So first, uh, Alan, let's chat about used planes. So especially popular right now is the Airbus A330 with smaller uh, airlines who want to save money or startups, and they can be reduced um, sometimes up to close to 50% of their sticker price. What are, like, what's the deal wow. with the A330 and why is it so, such an attractive used plane and what, what kind of routes can the A330 fly? Well, it's a bigger airplane. It's a, it's a twin aisle airplane. So it's, it's made for longer haul routes uh, similar to what like a triple seven would do, and the but that airplane is much older in terms of when it was developed. Uh, the problem with anything as twin aisle right now is that there's not a lot of long route flights going on anywhere in the world. Forget about um, you know United States to Europe is really hard still now. So there's there's just a depressed market. There's a lot of airplanes, twin aisle airplanes that are parked right now. And obviously, the newest ones are going to retain most of their value, but the older ones are going to have a hard time, especially older designs, they're going to have a hard time maintaining their value through this just because they're older designs. You can buy mm-hmm. a new one for also a discount, a newer one for a discounted price. Why wouldn't I do that? You totally would. Uh, and I, I think uh, a lot of times in these down situations, and COVID's been one big downer for the airline industry, uh, airplane models just disappear for the most part, or they or they shift uh, where their main focus is. They get uh, because they're just less expensive to operate, and they can um, be operated by a lot of airlines that couldn't otherwise afford them. And so you'll you'll see uh, older airplanes show up in different parts of the world where it just they need something that's a little less expensive to operate and to own. This would be a good buying opportunity opportunity if you had cash to go out and do it. Uh, you know, Airbus makes good airplanes. Boeing makes good airplanes. So pretty much, if you buy one with a good service history on it and good maintenance records on it, you you, you know what you're getting for the most part. And, and so, 
you know, if you have cash and you're an airline, it may be a good buying opportunity. It's just whether the governments will open up enough where you can actually fly those airplanes without yeah. all your passengers being inconvenienced with still have, making people do COVID tests and all the other things that happen. Well, if you get a, a bigger yeah. plane like an A330 cheap enough, does it make sense to fly it at less than capacity? Like, could you fly domestic routes in a 330 and never be full or does that not make sense? It doesn't make sense based on fuel prices. Now, even though fuel prices have been relatively stable, the expectations that fuel prices are going to start bumping back up again as uh, global traffic starts to increase. And once that does, once that happens, then part of your benefit goes away because fuel prices are so much a driver in profitability. Obviously, passenger load is one part of it, and then fuel costs on the other, and labor costs on the other. Uh, that's going to be the downside. And that's that's why you see a lot of the airlines, the more expansive, uh, like a Delta or a United, or there's all kinds of, at, at that level of airlines, at that level, are really pushing like fuel economy, mm-hmm. right? That's why the, the Neos are playing a big, have a big market and great airplane, obviously. 737 Max is the same, trying to fill that same niche, which is lower fuel costs and still carry the same amount of passengers. So if you can get really burned if you're not careful about fuel prices you have to pay attention to that and the age of the airplane and how much maintenance you're expected to put in on it but if if the price is right yeah you could do things in in a different way than we would have done them two years ago for for sure for sure well and you wonder what the pandemic will will hold for all these companies as they're trying to save money and reorganize or startups are trying to wiggle their way into yeah. more routes. I was just listening to um, on Guy Raz's uh, How I Built This Podcast, the story of how JetBlue was founded. Um, their founders on that show is really interesting. Um, but you don't think of like yeah. just, oh, I'm going to start an airplane or an air- airline. That seems like a huge <laughs> thing that put airlines do come and go. I mean, they get started by someone with experience in the industry oh, yeah. finds a bunch of investors buy some planes get certified blah 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 and they're off on their way it was actually it seemed right. way more accessible the way he talked about it because after he uh left jet blue he started another airline called azul in brazil i'm just like oh i'll just start oh, another yeah. airline it's like that just seems again starting an airline seems <laughs> so big like a utility scale right and so Right. Um, but it is, it's a, it's a real thing, especially probably more so in other countries where maybe the barrier to entry is a little bit less. If you're not in the U S it seems like the barrier for airport space in the U S is really, really high. Uh, but then again, sure. I don't know the, in, the intricacies of world, um, airliner economics, but oh, yeah, but you're, you're paying gate fees. I mean, the ability, there's only so many gates at, at the big airports. So you, you need to find a way to get into them. <laughs> And small airlines are pretty much kicked out. That's why you don't see them a lot of times, except at smaller, more unique airports, just for that reason. So it's not it's not easy to start an airline. It's it's easy to lose money in an airline. Mm-hmm. That, that, we've seen that time and time again. But to make money in an airline is really, really hard. You have to pay attention to everything and where the money is going, and be very careful about it. About what, and, and even though the, you know, the the some of the smallest. Um, uh, sm- smaller expenses, so to speak, can end up biting you. Like if you cut cut maintenance too tight and you have an accident, man, your airline's in big trouble. 
really big trouble. So, you know, you, you, it takes ex- a lot of people with experience in that industry to even broach it. Even people with experience still struggle in that industry. It's not easy. It's a very difficult marketplace. And, and airplanes, they age more so by pressurization cycles and flight hours. I mean, flight hours is it take off and landings i mean tell me a little bit about the pressurization stuff i mean the fuselage gets stressed the wings get stressed when it takes pressure um sure but these planes are obviously super well built like they're overbuilt right so um i mean somewhat you talked about the maintenance records and all that stuff i mean where where would if you were looking through a plane's maintenance record where would you be like you know what this one's not for us this one might be give us trouble or this one we're a little uncertain about i mean where does it go wrong in the maintenance cycle well if if the airline or the operator hasn't maintained it to the oem requirements like it hasn't had regular um it hasn't met its mandated inspections for example or it's missed one or it's late for one or they haven't dealt with some of the uh, service bulletins that may not be that may not be immediate. So the service bulletins or the advisory says you have a year to fix this thing and you haven't fixed it. Those kind of alarm bells start going off. Like okay, that's that's just adding cost onto me to go off and do all that stuff. So I'm going to ask for a lower price for the aircraft. Um, you know, our aircraft are relatively well built. If if you're buying an aircraft from certain parts of the world where you know maintenance is not going to be all super duper and may not be done as well as it may be done in Europe, uh, you're going to be a little more cautious and you're going to do a lot of looking on the aircraft before you decide to purchase it. So there's just a lot of small details. It's like buying a used vehicle, right? If you're buying a used vehicle from somebody you know, you got a pretty good chance that's going to be a good car. If you're buying it from some random person off the street that has uh, abused the car, it's going to be like that. It's going to be something you can put a lot of money into. So airplanes are not much different. All right. So in our engineering segment today, we're going to talk about uh, Hermaeus and their goal of creating a Mach 5 uh, jet and changing you know, commercial air travel. And of course, one of the partnerships they have is with the Air Force to help develop this supersonic Air Force One. Um, way off in the future. So, um, Alan, I know it seems like uh, Hermes has been kind of, you know, under the radar a bit. Uh, I guess that's a pun, right? That's a pun. Yeah. Radar. <laughs> planes have radar. Um, but yeah, I mean, they're working on Air Force One. Um, I mean, does that seem... I have a couple of questions for you. Number one, what is a realistic timeline here? Because we've seen Ariane fail. Um, Boom is now at the forefront, you know, with United doing an order of them recently. Um, yeah, but this is obviously a tough problem to solve. And we've also talked about whether or not we need um, supersonic flight. But what are some of the hurdles that are maybe a little bit lesser known? Um, we were talking off camera about just simple things like the toilet. Um, how does the toilet function at Mach 5 versus right. typical commercial airliner speed? I mean, all those things are actually a pretty big consideration. Right. You're putting people, as soon as you put people inside of this tube, you have a lot of considerations. Uh, how do you keep the pressurization right? How many cycles can it handle in pressurization? Uh, is it? It's flying high altitudes, so there's a lot of stresses on the on the airframe. Um, how? Do, what do the seats look like? 
What does a crash look like? What do the seats look like? Uh, is there an entertainment system on this airplane? Is there all the, 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 the is it, is it heated? <laughs> Can you mm-hmm. keep your feet warm while you're sitting in this thing? All those little system things, which get overlooked at times because the airplane is so cool looking, it goes so fast, are really important to the person that's going to use it. If, if it's, 30 below in the in the cabin no one's gonna fly it uh and and that and that's just the the kicker is that there's so many problems to solve simultaneously and all these systems have to work together seamlessly for thousands and thousands of hours it becomes an overwhelming engineering project and when you attach going past mach 1 just leaving leaving it there forget about mach 5 for a minute when you go past Mach 1, those difficulties get much bigger, as we have seen with the Concorde. Even though the Concorde is a 1970s, 60s, 70s design, it's still super complicated. And I, I don't see that going away. And uh, just the, from a business standpoint, the amount of cash burn to create the engine and something that's reliable, the fuel system, to, to how did, what's that fuel system look like? How does it handle extreme colds and extreme temperatures? What's the structure look like? There's just so many problems to solve, um, and, you, and a limited pile of money you can use to to, to solve them all. And that's that that's that's the problem. I, I think that's that's the bigger issue is how do you solve all those problems simultaneously? And you don't have anything to work off of. There's no cheat sheet to this, right? No one's really done this before, so everything's new. Everything's new, and everything. Uh, <laughs> everything is $10 million to solve, right? But you have a thousand of those problems. And and, and, that, and that's, what it, yeah. that's what it is. It's just what it is. Well, and, you know, it shows that they raised a $16 million Series A round of funding back in October of 2020. And $16 million is like a, like a Kleenex in Drop the aircraft in industry. I mean, it's just like, oh, yeah, yeah, it's nothing. Nothing. So... I mean, this is something that's going to take multiple billion dollars, I would assume, to sure. to get to, to fruition. And sure. How, I mean, is this decades away? I mean, what are we looking at here? Depending on what the end goal is or what, what what's the thing you're going to plant plant your flag on and say, we've done it. I don't know what that looks like. Um, if it's uh, a business aircraft or a corporate aircraft that goes past Mach 1, that's, that's something to hang your hat on. That's not easy to do. Uh, not many companies have even really broached it, really. So that would be something worthwhile, I think, to to, to say we've accomplished it. I I, I just don't, Dan. I don't. I, I, it's just it's an overwhelming thing. I I don't know how you get to the get to an answer without having large amounts of government funding or large amounts of investment funding. I mean, billions billions mm-hmm. to, to get there. I just don't see how it happens. It's like uh, going to the moon, right? It's about that same scale. It really is. Yeah, and plus with a lot of these test rockets, like there's no people on them, right? So they can yeah. test. It seems like you can test a, a rocket out a little easier than a plane, and that might be completely wrong. I don't know. Um, well, I, but like you said, similar. there's just different challenges. Yeah, there's just di- different there's challenges. challenges, but uh, it's... I don't like using analogies, but just to lay out the engineering complexities to it. Even during the Apollo missions, um, you know, they had the fire on Apollo 1, and that's not something they necessarily expected. They did after it happened. The accident with uh, Apollo 13, which uh, was related to some heaters and a stir in in one small part of this huge, massive spacecraft, went wrong and had an explosion. You know, those are just 
part of the complexity with dealing some dealing with people in upper atmosphere going very fast. That's just part of the deal. Everything has to work flawlessly. And we're not quite there yet on on the aircraft side. On the spacecraft side, we're getting a lot closer, right? Tesla's done a lot of good things. Uh, or SpaceX has done a lot of good things in terms of uh, making reusable rockets. Uh, but we haven't necessarily translated that back into the aircraft side. Just haven't yet. Well, and that's what jumps out to me. It's like, why... This challenge seems so big. Why is it being tackled by a, you know, a a, a startup company in the dozens of employees rather right. than someone like Airbus or Boeing or just like a gigantic company that could, you know, maybe like if this is a billion dollar failure, that that's not the end of Boeing, right? That's not the end of Airbus. It's not that much money to them. It's still a lot, it's of, a money, lot of money. But, yeah, it's a lot of money. Yeah, it's a lot well, of money. I, I think if if they're if they're going to develop a new engine and they've got some unique technology to develop uh, a mock vive engine that's a goal i mean that's a goal we're shooting for because you've simplified the number of problems you're going to go off and solve and you're going to focus on this one area and you're going to bring in expertise about propulsion to go do this massive engine project that's accomplish an accomplishment and the air force the united states air force would be really interested in that and say hey there's new engine technology they obviously in my opinion what they would do is they start shopping that engine technology around and hook them up with someone like a ge or pratt and whitney that makes uh high thrust engines and have done it for a long time successfully and say you're going to partner with pratt and whitney here, here you go. We love the technology. Now let's implement it. And Pratt and Whitney has the capability to do that. that. I think that's where it goes. The aircraft side just seems too much for everybody to to take on right now. Yeah, and their goal is to get to a demonstrator in about five years. That's um, that's what their plans are. And they have been testing an engine that they moved really fast to get to that uh, from design to prototype to, to testing. Right. So they've, they've done good work, yes. it seems like, thus far. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but still a lot There's to still do. Still a lot to do, yeah. All right, so in our final segment today, we're going to talk about vertical aerospace. They've just had a splash of headlines recently. Um, a lot of orders and, of course, the news that they're going to go public, potentially in a SPAC merger. So, as mentioned, American Airlines and Virgin Atlantic both have invested and put in orders. So, American Airlines, uh, 250 aircraft, uh, Virgin Atlantic, 150 aircraft, and Americans also put some money, uh, 25 million, into a fund just in um, in uh, investment money. And then there are some other uh, sale orders as well. Uh, Avalon has put a 2.2 billion dollar order in. So a lot of money going to vertical aerospace, and they seem to be have to have been one that um, I'm sorry, two billion from um, from Avalon. But it seems like they've been a little under the radar as far as you know, like news just in the news. Like Joby's been a, sort of a darling. Right. Archer's been in the news a lot recently. Yeah. It just everyone seems like they're just jockeying for position. Right. Um, but they have over a thousand aircraft pre-orders, and vertical aerospace seems set to go public. So that's crazy. I mean, Alan, I mean, where do you fall? I like their design. It looks super sleek. Yes. I haven't seen a test flight. It looks like they're still in development. Um, but it seems like people really believe in their concept. They do. I mean, obviously, for the amount of money they're talking about, 
somebody believes in it, and that's a, a, a really good start. We haven't seen an aircraft yet in terms of prototype flying. Uh, maybe there is one. I haven't seen it. Uh, that doesn't mean that it's not going on. I just haven't seen it yet. The the marketplace is just weird right now. In, in terms of like what what is American Airlines doing, and why? Like what what is what is the potential upside cash flow from American Airlines working in the five passenger aircraft electric market what what is that where 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 is the economic proposition in this and the the spac money is just explosive that's the only way to describe it is an explosion of cash mm-hmm. and why what has been proven to this point that you're going to be able to recover that recover that investment in a relatively short amount of time if you're uh, an angel investor or a kind of a venture capitalist group, investment group, and you're hoping to take that initial investment and flip it 10 times, right? So you put in a million dollars, you're going to get 10 million out in ideally five years, some some short time frame like that, right? You're 10 times your money or at least three or four times your money, right? Uh, and there's been no airplane project in my lifetime that I can remember that it's ever done that. But, you know, obviously airplanes are not something that you and I use every day. And, and they're, what they're talking about is making an airplane they're going to use every day. I, there's just so much risk in this. And it, it just seems like there's an imbalance in the marketplace. Isn't it, isn't it weird to say like, it was like the housing market in 2007 and eight, there's an imbalance going on. It feels like there's this weird imbalance on the electric vehicle market like there's so much cash but there's so little delivered yet that that has to even out at some point right market's correct at some point uh what that looks like is going to be scary yeah and there might be consolidation or maybe maybe that's the play there's going to be some winners and looters right i mean are you hoping that airbus buys you or embraer buys you or Mitsubishi purchases you, or Toyota purchases you, or Honda, somebody. Uh, maybe, maybe that's the play, is maybe that they figure it's like uh, some of these SaaS software companies that, you know, they, they've got a million dollar business or a $5 million business and they want to sell it for $200 million. Maybe that's the play. I mean, maybe they can get somebody to pay that, pay that money. But airplanes just doesn't, the aircraft market, aerospace market hasn't historically done that. Just hasn't. Uh, mm-hmm. not without special technology or a special sort of cash generating machine. And in theory, I guess the electric vertical takeoff and landing market what is a, would be like an Uberish cash generating machine, but even Uber's not a cash generating machine yet, Dan, is it? I mean, am I missing something about Uber? Yeah. No, I think so. I don't know where they are, if they're profitable yet, but they've, they haven't been profitable for, for their history, at least as of 2020, I think they're, getting closer and doing better because they've been raising fares and um i think some of their acquisitions end up being pretty good for them but i mean they were just a a loser for for a long time and that was just the american growth you know the the american way like just grow at all costs and you don't have to make money we'll just keep getting more investment and go public then all the investors get a huge windfall and everyone's happy except the company doesn't actually make money so the amazon way right and that that's Mm -hmm. that's the amazon model but that model doesn't apply to most businesses it's just doesn't and of course amazon did they become did. profitable sure did. i mean they've yeah. they they kind of fluctuate when they just say hey we want to spend more and we're, we're going to start reinvesting to the future but 
Yeah, I mean, they've, they are a little yes. bit of an outlier where they've actually been profitable despite that gigantic growth and a lot of investment yeah. in the future. Yeah. All right. Well, that'll do it for today's episode of Struck. If you're new to the show, thank you so much for listening. And please leave a review and subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Check out the WeatherGuard Lightning Tech YouTube channel for video episodes, full interviews, and short clips from the show. And follow us on LinkedIn, Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Our handle is at WGLightning. Strike Tape, WeatherGuard Lightning Tech's proprietary lightning protection for radomes, provides unmatched durability for years to come. If you need help with your radome lightning protection, reach out to us at weatherguardarrow.com. That's weatherguardaero.com.